Come on in and grab some notes. We're going to crank up another hot topic tonight of how a Christian should engage in culture. In particular, uh, what Christians should think about politics. So, uh, just another hot button issue. So, grab some notes in the back. You'll want that outline. We're not going to have any notes on the screen other than Scripture. But uh, hopefully these notes will prove helpful. And our plan is tonight, um, I think this was, we, we struck this chord last time as we kind of worked through our, our notes uh, rather quickly. And then I, I'd love for us to have a lot of time for discussion tonight and, uh, and, and questions and, and uh, kind of getting our corporate thoughts. Before I do that, let me uh, recommend a resource to you. Uh, this is a book called Onward. Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. And it is written by a, uh, a professor, pastor, uh, who is now the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which is a ministry of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and this is a group that is just really on the forefront of engaging um, the powers of being Washington and media and our culture with... Uh, just life from a biblical worldview. And this is written by Dr. Russell Moore, who was a pastor and seminary professor, and is now a, now he is the president of this ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission uh, group. In fact, mark that website down, ERLC.com. It is a really good very helpful resource. Lots of great articles on there, videos of stuff. But anyway, he's written a book called Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. This guy is just really one of the clear voices for thinking through these issues in, in, on the church scene today. Does anybody want a copy of this book? <laughs> Whoa, Karen Gaskins. Watch out, you may have thrown your shoulder out of joint there. Cody, can you um, walk that back to Miss Karen? Thanks, buddy. That's, I th- you lost out on a book yesterday, last week, and so you were ready... Oh, that's right. You you had your um, shoulder on the trigger. All right. Well, um, again, it seems like uh, on issues like this, there's just we're so prone to fall off into uh, from one ditch to another. I think um, C.S. Lewis, the great uh, um, Christian thinker from England back in the middle of the 1900s. He said about spiritual warfare, which is not what we're talking about tonight. He said about like demons and Satan and things like that, that Christians often are prone to either think too much about it or to think too little about it. And I think that same principle holds true maybe for a lot of Christians when it, when it comes to politics and how we should think about politics and engaging um, just the powers that be in our nation. I think sometimes we are prone to either think too much about it or too little. And so tonight I want us to kind of work towards thinking about having a biblical perspective on what, how we should engage politics. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father, thank you for these uh, brothers and sisters, for your grace to us that we can gather together in your house. Thank you for this meal that we've had and for nourishing our bodies. Thank you for uh, the middle of a work week that you've given us work to glorify you and I pray that tonight as we gather around your word and some truths from your word and then as, as we try and rightly apply what it means to be a Christian in the United States of America in this particular 
political climate, I pray that you would move us a little bit more towards faithfulness as a result of our time together tonight. And so help us with these things. Uh, we, we, we realize that we don't see all that we should see rightly. And so help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what I thought I'd do. I'd, I want us to look at four truths that I think are just pretty simple and pretty clear, but will help to I th- hopefully orient us. And then a few principles for how Christians should engage in politics. Uh, most of these, in fact, seven of these nine that these principles, uh, I've, I've really gleaned very heavily, in some cases verbatim, from uh, a message by Mark Dever, a pastor that I really respect. He pastors Capitol Hill Baptist Church, which is right down the street from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., so we'll go over that in a second. But first, let's establish some truths about just God's relationship to government politics and how Christians should think about this. So the first is that God has given a limited authority, and these words are important, to imperfect secular government, and he uses those imperfect secular governments to accomplish his will. So if you have a Bible, um, flip to Romans chapter 13. We'll have it up on the screen. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is writing. And let's get some context here. Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are subject to the Roman emperor and the Roman government, which at this time that Paul writes, probably 50s, 60s, around in there, AD, is not um, really, uh, in a more intense way, uh, persecuting Christians, but it's certainly happening. And just within a few decades, Christians are going to start to be killed, martyred, dragged off to the Colosseum to be fed to lions. So it's going to get increasingly worse after Paul writes this letter to Romans. And so the context of the government that Paul is going to be speaking about right now is, I think we could say probably definitely more, at least certainly physically more um, dangerous than the government that we are under as far as opposition to Christianity. And listen to what Paul says to the Roman church. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, or in other words, the Roman government, the emperor. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So all authority, whether it's um, Caesar or Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, you know, this um, Persian emperor in the Old Testament, whoever it is, there is, there is none that have not been instituted by God. That's a, I mean, that in and of itself is something we could chew on for a whole hour, that God allows, somehow providentially superintends the rising and the falling of every authority, every governmental authority, even though many of them are wicked and sinful. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is, verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. So he's speaking about a pagan government, and he's saying that 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 emperor, that governmental official, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So let me pause there. 
And just just get a picture of what's going on. God has raised up imperfect, unbelieving, pagan governmental authorities who even though they don't realize it, are being used by God to bring about some form of good. Now that doesn't mean that governments are perfect. Certainly the Roman government was perfect, wasn't perfect by any means. And certainly our government isn't perfect. But God in his sovereign omnipotence is using even imperfect governments to somehow do some measure of good and serve him in some way even though, albeit not perfectly. Right? And that, that's just the clear implications. And by the way, we won't get into this right now, but if you're in the military, um, this is one of the verses that Christians throughout the ages have developed what I think is a very right and biblical, uh, the, the idea of the just war. That if you're in the military and you're called to, um, to go into combat, that, that this text is, I think, uh, validating what you are doing. So if you're a soldier in the United States military, you're sent into combat, and you have to take somebody else's life or avenge a wrongdoer, I think this verse is justification for that. And even though the motivations of the government that sends you, in this case America, may not be 100% pure. Um, so, I, you know, we could, we could spend some time on that as well. But so, imperfect governments are servants of God, even if they don't acknowledge Him or even realize that. Verse 5, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this you will pay... You, uh, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So truth number one there, God gives a limited authority to imperfect secular government and uses it to accomplish his will. And the truth number two that follows from it clearly, which is an implication of this text, in fact he mentions it in there, is that Christians should submit to the righteous authority of their imperfect secular government. Now we're going to talk about some nuances of that in just a moment, but let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, another very important text when we're just thinking about how we should engage culture, politics, authority. Let me start in verse um, 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Verse 17 Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So clearly, if it wasn't spelled out for us clear enough in Romans 13, clearly it's spelled out there that Christians should submit to the righteous authority of their imperfect and secular government. Now we're going to talk about times when I think Christians should clearly disobey. We'll get to that in a second. And that, well, that's the next one. Number three. However, the Bible That's not all that the Bible says about how Christians should interact with their government. Point number three then, or truth number three, is that Christians should disobey the government or the political forces 
when obedience means disobeying God. So I won't take the time to read them, but they're in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. You have a couple instances where the ruling authorities, in this case the ruling authorities in Jerusalem, which were religious authorities, told Peter and the apostles that they couldn't preach in Jesus' name. They said, we can't, we can't obey Men rather than God, we can't help but preach in Jesus' name. And there was civil disobedience there on the part of Peter and John and the other apostles. We see it also in Daniel chapter 3 and 6 where Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, these four Hebrew youths that were, uh, were, were taken prisoner by uh, Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire, resisted the a command of the emperor to bow down and worship him. And so they, they, they rightly resisted because the government, because obedience to the government would mean disobedience to God. And we can think of a thousand different instances where that would be the case for a believing Christian in our context. And we will here in just a second. So then finally, um, the fourth truth that we want to establish before we get into some principles is that God has ultimate and supreme authority over all nations, governments, and individuals. And one of my favorite, I think most important verses in the Bible, Romans 11.36, which I think just sort of frames everything. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So everything exists uh, for God's glory. He has, in fact, get, you need to wrap your mind around this as far as God's sovereignty over uh, unbelieving governments and wicked rulers. Proverbs 16, I don't have it on the screen, but Proverbs 16 says that God has, um, he's raised up, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm not quoting it exactly, but he, God has raised up everything for a purpose, even the wicked for the day of judgment. And so it's not like the universe is spun out of control and God is up there reacting to the political forces in the world. It's not like the Republicans won this election and God is wringing his hands because now poor people won't be taken care of. And it's not like now the Democrats are in office and oh my God, what are we going to do about the national defense? God is in complete and utter control. In fact, one time in the, uh, uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah during... Um, during pre-Israel uh, being led into captivity, about a hundred years in advance, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and he says, I'm going to raise up a pagan unbelieving king named Cyrus, who is Persian, who is going to come and I'm going to use this unbelieving pagan emperor, king, to destroy the present captors of my people to work my sovereign will and bring about judgment and all this kind of stuff. So God is raising up unbelieving, false God-worshipping, pagan men to do his will, and he's prophesying about it a hundred or so years in advance. And so he's, it's like God, I, I've said it before, it's almost as if God has the universe and human history rigged <laughs> because he does, right? And any of you that went through philosophy in the, you know, the, the 11th grade and you just have philosophical objections with it. Well, we're, God's violating our free will. Yes, exactly. He does it whatever, he does whatever he wants to do. Right? You, we don't have time to get into this broken notion of free will, but you're about as free as a 
pumpkin when it comes to your will compared to a sovereign God who knows everything. I'm sorry, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting ornery. I'm sorry. All right. So we could talk about that later. God is sovereign. Okay. All right. So then, some principles for how Christians should engage politics, and then we'll we'll get into questions. So. Um, and then on this last one here, I want us to draw a little bit on the board and kind of look at different scenarios. First is that, remember that the mission of the church is to work for supernatural change. So I'm going to make a point here in a second that I think that Christians, um, some Christians should be uh, very involved in politics because that may be their vocational calling. And that is a God-ordained thing. It is just like it is a god ordained thing to be maybe in pastoral ministry or a, a foreign missionary. Some of you are called to be school teachers or military people or doctors or housewives or um, school bus drivers or, 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 or maybe some of us are just as equally called to be in the political arena and that is a, a worthy and noble vocation. And I'm going to make that point that Christians should do that and even if you're not called into that, it is an absolute, I think, clear uh, uh, principle that Christians, all Christians, should be involved and aware for the sake of good stewardship, uh, should be involved in po- politics as far as voting and being aware of the issues. But, I'm getting ahead of myself, let's remember that the mission of the church is to work for supernatural change. Okay? So as much as we want to steward the benefits of society and culture, let's remember that what we are here to do as Christians, what has happened to us is we have gone from death to life, right? So I think that, just think of the ministry of the church as, as Ezekiel 37, where, where he raises up his prophet to speak to the, to the valley of dry bones. That is the mission of the church. That's the mission of the Christian. God will use the means of maybe better political environments than others to, to be a great blessing, but mankind is dead in sin and needs to be brought back to life. And uh, what's happening in our culture today the things that seem to be turning against Christianity has not made the work of ministry one iota more difficult. We have always, since Genesis 3, been preaching to a graveyard. And that's the work of the church, to, to work for supernatural change that is, that is God's will. Secondly, is that I think we should understand that persecution is normal. And this is difficult for us as Americans because we are starting to sense and feel a little political persecution. But it has been the experience of many, probably the majority of Christians throughout the centuries. Jesus says in John 16 that you, in this world you will have trouble. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised when a fiery tri- trial comes upon you. And to the degree, I think, I've said this before, but to the degree that American Christians act shocked or scandalized at a culture that seems to be increasingly against us, I, I think when we do that, we, we betray uh, our, our true hope, which is not these 80 years. And I, I think that when Christians act like just aghast at how hostile the culture is to the gospel, we, we, we demonstrate that we haven't fully grasped what it means to be a Christian and a follower of the God-man Christ Jesus who was executed as a criminal of the state. So understand that persecution is normal. Third, beware of the false ideal of utopianism and pessimism that inevitably results. And I think these next two, three and four, I think they sort of break, I I know I'm painting with broad strokes here, but I think they sort of break along cultural, I mean along generational lines. 
I think that people kind of my age, like um, 40s, mid-40s, I'll be 45 in a couple months, and above, tend to be a little bit more idealistic because we have this notion of an America that we remember like maybe back in the 80s when it just seemed like we were just really, you know, we won the Cold War, this idea of American exceptionalism, Reagan just seems to just kind of be a stud, you know, and we just, we, we felt, kind of felt good about being Americans. Um, and I think then people that are younger, kind of 30s and below, tend to be a little bit more um, disengaged. But back to number three, I think that people my age and above need to be aware of a false ideal of utopianism. And what I mean by that is, is that we've sensed that the way things used to be in America are not the way they are now. And we lament that, and there's certainly righteous reasons to lament that. But I think that there's a wrong, I think that there's a sense that many Christians um, long for the good old days more than they long for what God is sovereignly maybe doing even now. And it's kind of like we're pessimistic about the future, the past that we miss. And I think that when we do that, um, it, 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 it can send the wrong message to an onlooking world. Then, number four, I think the a younger generation that's grown up, um, you know, on South Park and uh, just sarcastic sitcoms, you know, like The Office. Um, I think they need to beware of disengagement, whether due to cynicism, selfishness, or ignorance. Uh, I, I do, I think, so I think older people are, tend to a sort of frustration and pessimism because things aren't the way they used to be. And I think younger people tend to just sort of, ah, whatever, you guys are, that, that, that's just not important. And I think that's, that's just a huge error. Um, so we need to be, I think younger people need to be aware of their sort of chronic, just it's the, the, the air they breathe is one of cynicism and sarcasm. And I think it's, hor- it's a horrible way to be a Christian in culture. Uh, number five, we should be good stewards of our freedoms and our democratic processes. So that's what I was getting at when I started off, is that we should vote. If you are a Christian, listen, young person, if you are a Christian and you are old enough to vote and you are not a registered voter and you're not voting, I mean, I don't know how else to say it other than just a big brother in Christ, shame on you. I mean, come on. Come on, get, you know, the, let's talk. Like, let's, 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 let's get, let's. Let's talk about that. That is not good. Um, we should be good stewards. I mean, there are people that in our world that uh, lay down their lives to, to be free and be in the political environment that we are. And so for us to be lackadaisical or to squander those opportunities is really, quite frankly, it's just an embarrassment um, of our culture. And certainly Christians that aren't involved to some degree, um, um, it's... it's, it's it's a poor stewardship. Six, we should remember that God is utterly and exhaustively, exhaustively sovereign over the affairs of this world. And so we talked about that a little bit, but there, there, there's nothing, um, there's no situation in the affairs of, men's, uh, affairs of men or nations that is outside of God's control. In the history of God's dealing with his people, there have been many, I think Americans need to hear this, in the history of God's dealing with human history and with his people and the church, there have been many situations that have seemed impossible or too far gone and certainly worse than any situation that we face today. And yet God just, he always, uh, he always accomplishes his will. will. Um, number seven, remember that everything we have is God's grace. 
I, I think this idea of, of being born in America can, is a great blessing, but sometimes it can work against us. And I think that we, um, we sort of have a, 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 almost a default subconscious entitlement to the way that we go about things. Um, but we, let's remember, friends, that we, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, is that we are by nature not American citizens. We are by nature, according to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, children of wrath. And we deserve nothing short of God's justice, justice and punishment. But if you are a Christian, He has rescued you from that and He's transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And that trumps anything that's going on here in this life, whether that is American citizenship or anything. And so we need to remember who ultimately we are and were before God rescued us. And that will have a pervasive humbling effect on the way that we engage um, culture and politics. Um, even as we tenaciously get involved in politics as some of us may be called to do. And then number eight there, we should rest um, in the certainty of Christ's victory. Uh, I mean, friends, he's promised it. Um, things are... Uh, no matter how bad things seem to be, uh, Christ has promised that his church will triumph. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. All evil, every foe will be vanquished. And um, we, we can just have great confidence in that regardless of who becomes president next November, regardless of what happens in the Middle East, regardless of whether or not some crazy dictator gets a nuclear weapon, Jesus wins. It's just something that Christians have to just settle on and know before they can wisely and in a gospel-centered sort of way engage culture. And then nine, and we'll talk about this a little bit and then open up to questions, and this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, is that Christians need to uh, seek to wisely and humbly apply the gospel to gray areas politically. So what do I mean by that? Let me draw a, a couple of circles um, on, on the screen. I think that there are issues politically that, um, that Christians just, as far as their engagement with the government and politically, just clearly um, should uh, just obey, right? And these are things like, oh, obey. Uh, even if we disagree with them. Like, um, you know, I, I honestly think the speeding limit can be a little bit Faster than 55 miles an hour in some places, right? <laughs> All right, praise God. Let <laughs> me rise up. Can I get a witness? Um, you know, maybe like I grew up in the 70s. Um, I don't think that my parents owned a, a helmet. I mean, a bike helmet. I mean, what? Like, you know, so these are things that, you know, there may be certain civil laws that we disagree with. But the government has said, this is the way it's going to be. You've got to wear your seatbelt. You've got to go 55. And your little kid has to wear a helmet. Right? You got that. We can disagree with it. But that, that is just where Christians should just obey. And then there are things that uh, may happen. Um, let me draw another circle here. Uh, where I think Christians should just clearly disobey. Like we said, um, uh, you know, these men back in, in the Old Testament times, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they disobeyed the emperor. Um, Peter and, and James and John disobeying the command of the religious authorities. The things like, um, if you're a Christian doctor, and, you know, let's just say 
you, the, the, the government said you had to perform an abortion. You should disobey that. Right? There should be no, just disobey that. If we, as a Christian church, um, if the government said, and friends, we may face this in our lifetime, if the government said to us, um, in order to be a, a church or recognized by the state, you must, um, you must perform homosexual unions, well, clearly, we would have to disobey that, right? I mean, because we, not because we hate people that are um, caught up in that sin, but because we believe that that clearly contradicts biblical teaching on human identity and human sexuality. And so there's maybe things like, you know, uh, abortion or, um, you know, marriage things that we would have to clearly disobey our government and be willing to be thrown into prison and as Hebrews 13 says, I think it's just Hebrews 13 is just a good chapter for uh, Hebrews 10. It says they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property, these Christians. I mean, <laughs> that's convicting every time I read it. But then there, are, then there are, and this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Then there are areas, there are gray areas, Okay that I think we need to be wise and humble and careful about how we speak about with one another and culturally. What are some of these issues? And, and, and don't, I'm just throwing out issues that I think Christians can faithfully have different sides on or different perspective on and still be Christians. I'm not saying I disagree. So before you, uh, that boy, I knew he was from California. I knew he was a liberal. It's just, it took us 10 years to find it out, but he declared himself tonight. All right. So just breathe. Okay. But issues like maybe like, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just kind of draw over here. Issues like, you know, gun control. Issues like, um, you're just wondering, I'm all for people having guns. I got a few myself. I might even have one on me right now. I don't know. But, 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 but issues like, <laughs> what did you say? Um, healthcare, government, you know, uh, subsidies of healthcare, Obamacare, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, care for the poor. Financial, care for the poor, things like that. Here's all I'm saying. Is that I, ha I mean, I have pretty clear stances on these, and you may too. And some of these may get into real kind of theological implications and all that stuff. But all I'm saying is, is that we need to recognize that these issues are often very difficult. Often there are points on either side that you can kind of see where, okay, I can. And, and Christians need to be just humble and wise about how they engage these issues politically because here's what I think happens is that when the loudest thing, because these tend to break along cultural lines, they tend to break along demographic lines, oftentimes they break along ethnic lines, they certainly break along party lines. And what happens then is when the when Christians have very passionate 
political stances about these things in the gray area, it's very easy for the Christians and maybe churches to have their message or kind of what they stand for co-opted by their passion for these complicated areas. Does that make sense? And so then the church sort of loses its voice politically because then we're sort of co-opted by a political party that sort of uses our political capital for particular issue and it just gets all kind of murky and that's where I think we just need to be kind of careful that we are not more pro-gun or anti-gun or pro-healthcare or whatever and, and how do we do that friends that's just a complicated that's just a hard hard thing to think about um, but I think we need to think about those things wisely And I think we need to speak into these issues with a lot of care and gospel precision. And by the way, I think Russell Moore, who wrote that book that that Karen got, is one of those voices along with the ERLC. I want you guys all to just bookmark that website, ERLC.com. Just is really thinking about these things in a a wise, winsome, gospel-centered sort of way. And so these are, I think to me, not just these issues, but issues that are kind of in the gray where I think faithful Christians can honestly, depending on their context and their upbringing and the subculture that they're part of, can honestly arrive at different conclusions on. Even though we may think, yeah, they may be wrong on those things, they can arrive at those different conclusions and be faithful Christians. Those are the areas where I think the rubber meets the road that Christians just need to be wise and humble and winsome and um, very thoughtful as we engage these issues. Um, and, and we should, young people, you should engage these issues. Um, you should engage these issues. Young people, you should care about these things. And old people, if these things don't go our way, don't think that the sky is falling. Right? So we should need to avoid being chicken little. And we also need to avoid being the lazy teenager in his pajamas eating Cheetos on the couch. And there's just kind of, a, and, and we're gonna we're gonna miss these. We're gonna we're gonna we're just we're not gonna execute these things perfectly. And that's why we need each other's help. So with that questions, uh, discussion, comment, Truman. Let's get the microphones running, and because we are recording this, Truman Edwards in the teal, blue shirt. I, I'm not one of those lazy teenagers eating Cheetos. I eat popcorn. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, my you're, you're not a teenager anymore either, are you? My question is, as a young adult, and I know that I'm kind of young still. <laughs> you're, you're very young. My question is, how as a young person am I supposed to... I, we have the issues that are in the gray area. Yeah. And I don't want to be to the point where we get to the point where the abortion and marriage, how do we get to the point where we don't merge those into the gray area because of the culture around us? is allowing us to do that. I know it's going to be next week's social media, but it kind of really, everything we see on social media anymore is pushing everything towards the gray area. How do we avoid that as Christians? That's a a really good question, Truman. And I think, I think, my sense is, is that we need to, we need to, as I, I think the church in general, and I think in particular younger Christians, need to embrace the peculiarness of the gospel message. 
I think your generation um, has been, um, uh, I think, um, by church, by, by pastors of my generation, because of our uh, insecurities and egos, and pastors want big churches, have, have tried to build churches for your generation that just want to attract you by putting super good-looking people up on stage and making everything cool and hip. And I think it has neutered the gospel and it has taught a whole generation of Christians, your generation and below, that being Christian is being cool, hip, and relevant. And I think that is death to the gospel. And so I think the way churches preach the gospel, when everything about us is trying to say, hey, we're not that weird. Come and be a Christian, a cool Christian like us. And you're thinking right now, Brad, you're not answering my question. Yes, I am. Because what's happening is when we do that, we take the teeth out of the gospel and all of these things because these are, these are offensive. The gospel is offensive to culture. And so... To answer your question, Truman, is, is that how do Christians keep these from getting blurred over? Well, I think we need to realize that we, we are a peculiar people. The gospel is a strange, offensive message to the world. And people will hate it. And 2 Corinthians 2 verses 14 through 17 says, We are the aroma of Christ, and through us God spreads the fragrance of Jesus everywhere. To those that are perishing, it's the scent of death. To those that are being saved, it's the scent of life. And I think Christians just in America need to be more okay with the fact that the world hates the gospel. And we need to um, realize that um, they're going to hate these things, and we need to brace ourselves for that. Um, and so I think we need to embrace the, the, the clarity and the offensiveness of the gospel. Um, so I'd encourage, I'd encourage, you know, younger Christians to do that. Yeah. It's a great, great question. John. You're making your wife run the microphone around. That's a good way to go, Truman. All right, good job. Uh, it, uh, is it on? Is it on? Yeah, it's on. Um, to go along with that, so I um, I don't I don't engage social media often. I am not a fan of Facebook, and I don't hardly ever get on it. But occasionally I have, and what I do is I don't get into an argument that there isn't clear scripture for. Yeah. If I have clear scripture, I give the scripture for for that argument. And uh, Jesus said um, that. Um, it is the spirit that quickens or gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Mm -hmm. And the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Mm. And so if, if we got a good argument, make the argument in Scripture and then let whatever mm -hmm. happen. Then the, the, I would say that with the times that I've done that, what I find, you know, you look at all these uh, Facebook posts, they go back and forth, yeah. they attack. It, it's yep. all over the place. Yeah. I'll put a bunch of scripture down there. It's crickets. It's amazing. It's, yeah. it's almost always, every once in a while there's some guy that says, you're crazy, you're stupid. Yeah. But most of the time, what ends up happening is all discussion stops and that that string just disappears yeah so yeah yeah and we're going to talk thanks john that's helpful and we're going to talk about social media not just political engagement next week but just just some of the folly of, of social media next week colonel wood sir 
Well, this is more county manager Wood. Um, okay, gotcha. As a professional practitioner in the field. Yeah. Um, I hate to say it, some of the stuff that we pass as far as local ordinances and, and even to the state and national level is because people are just do stupid things. Yeah. Um, but putting that in context, probably addressing areas three and four, because I don't want to get into the utopian area, but I also don't want to get into the disengagement area. If you wa have watched the progress of government, people have looked to the government to replace the church in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. It's now statism versus Christianity in so many fashions. Yeah. And I think a lot of the things is that we have abandoned both responsibility as personally and as the church of doing some of the things and left it to the government. And that's, even though that's my job, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be, I shouldn't be having to worry, you know, widows and orphans are supposed to be taken care of by the mm -hmm. church. Yeah. Um, but I have the privilege of taking care of some in my job. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. I think that's how we end up in some of the gray areas. Yeah. It's yeah. because we should not have let abortion go to the point where we were not taking care of unwed mothers. Yeah. Anyhow, I could get on a soapbox and... Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I, I think that, Greg, there's so much there that we could absolutely just talk about, about how the, the church is often very weak in culture. And that that paves the way for a thousand different ills. Absolutely. And we Absolutely. could we can go into judicial activism as mm -hmm. well, and yep. we, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Right now, I have the the probate judge of Harris County, very strong Christian, mm -hmm. has has struggled with staying in office about having to issue um, yeah. gay marriage licenses. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been really, really, really tough for him. Right. Um, and yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Chris. Yeah. I was, um, I guess, going along with this, do you think sometimes we as Christians end up, you know how we often talk about open-handed and closed-handed issues? Mm -hmm. We end up moving some of those things that are actually open-handed into the closed-handed inadvertently yeah. because, like you were saying, we get away from the gospel and what actually holds us together as Christians and we've moved things that shouldn't necessarily be in that close-handed section. We've moved them into that section. We've gotten such a high horse yeah. that we're not doing it. And I, I see branches of, of, of it turning back, obviously, because like, yeah. for instance, together for the gospel. Many yeah. different denominations, even though we disagree on open-handed things, we right. come together on close-handed things. And yeah. I see that as part of the answer to how do we fight back on those things is we make sure we know what those close-handed things are. We stand mm -hmm. firm on those things. Mm -hmm. And we grow in those things. And we can have discussions about the open-handed, but not on the close-handed. Those are always yeah. firm and foundation of the gospel. That's what we should yeah. always be standing yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, know if that's really a question. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, think, I think that's a little bit of the point I was making here is that maybe, you know, making sure that some of these issues, that we speak in such a way that we don't communicate that this is the essence of what it means to be a conservative Christian. But listen, I mean, I understand, like, these things are, like, because the, the, like, for, let's just take gun control, for example. I mean, I, the reason why I think people are so com really passionate about it I think it's not so much, yes, obviously there's just red-blooded Americans that want their guns, but I think the deeper issue is that people, I think, are very rightly very concerned with the power and the reach of government. 
And that is a very, like, young people, like, oh, why these old fogies just want their shotguns? Well, it's not just because they want their shotguns. It's because they, there's, there's deeper issues. And, and, and here's what I'm saying, I'm confessing, Chris, is that really being involved in that and passionate about that, but doing it in a way that doesn't, like, subvert your hope in the gospel, I, that's hard. That's just hard. And so I don't, I mean, I know you're not, but don't, don't, don't hear me saying, oh, people that are just really passionate about these things just are not. No, I'm not saying that. I'm thinking, I'm, praise God for these issues that people are really thinking, but that, I'm just saying that's difficult. This is really, really difficult. Um, and it's just a complex world. Yeah, Stephen. Uh, Brad, can you elaborate a little bit more on, um, I guess, the responsibility that we have as Christians to be involved in policy and also um, it, do we need to have an opinion on every single issue? Because yeah. I, don't, I don't see a scriptural mandate no. necessarily um, requiring me to have an opinion on every single political issue. I think there are certainly some huge moral issues where mm-hmm. I better be involved mm-hmm. as a believer. Can you elaborate on that? I mean, because I mean, you use the example yeah. of like gun control. Like you right. said, have opinions on those issues. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that I think that Christians do need to be aware of the larger issues of the day. I think that is just a stewardship of your citizenship. Not every issue, though, certainly, because we just couldn't keep up with that. I mean, there's moms in this room who are so busy, you know, and dads, and they're so busy in their careers that there's just no way. But that's part of, you, you need to be aware of candidates out there who you know kind of who they are and what type of people they are and what they believe about uh, God and humanity and the, the, um, the image of God in every person. So that you may not agree with that person politically on everything, but you're going to make as wise as you can a decision to vote for that person. So to me, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's government of the people by the people and so we're going to rep- we're going to elect representatives who are not going to perfectly represent us but who are going to in a better way represent us than people that we wouldn't want representing us and I think so one way you care about all the issues is by caring about candidates one having a general idea of the larger issues of the day and then two caring about who you have the opportunity to vote for so that a person of good character and hopefully Christian faith can be in political office. That's the way I would answer that. And I think every Christian needs to, of voting age, needs to, to be involved in those two things. Have a general idea of the larger issues and certainly know who you have the opportunity to vote for so that you can make an informed decision to put people in place that will hopefully think more rightly than wrongly about all issues. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Um, but as a as a follow up, I guess um, I see often um, evangelical Christians kind of putting forth a platform in just a very unkind way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, I mean that that uh, yeah. can put a very bad face on the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it kind of reminds me of First uh, Peter three. I think it's like very shortly after the passage that you read. Yeah. Uh, where um, he writes, 
always always be prepared to make a defense mm-hmm. to anyone who asks you for a reason in the hope that it or for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect yeah, yeah. so i guess i mean that's yeah that's part of our challenge as christians is balancing yeah gentleness with yep. you know, and, being involved you know yeah i know yeah and but, and, and the, then the balance is is being you know kind and winsome but every now and again we need somebody to be a lion and to stand up in the face of evil and say that's wrong passionately you know but then there i think there's just a cranky honoriness that i can remember in my home church back in california after clinton got elected over uh, bush one this is before you got you're like whoa i barely remember those names whatever uh, those young people and i can remember like driving into the parking lot of my church after that coming home from college and um, seeing a bunch of the bumper stickers, and this was a big bumper sticker, and if you had this bumper sticker, I'm sorry, but you just, yeah, this was unhelpful. Remember those stickers that were all over in the early 90s? Don't blame me, I voted for Bush, right? It's kind of like, because Clinton's president now. And I just wanted to go up to those Christians, and I was like, well, thank you, that, that's very helpful. Like that's, you know, I understand you're frustrated, but I just, so that type of tone I just think is just, it just, it, it's not helpful. Not helpful, yeah. And there's, there's way more serious bad tones that I think we can, um, we can, we can execute on a national level that are just unhelpful. So, good point. Anything else? Yes, Ken. Well, we gotta, we're recording it, so she's, Megan is running a microphone to you while her husband stays seated. Yeah, this is going back to the gray areas. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. I was so. busting on oh. Truman. <laughs> this is going back to the gray areas. Um, my opinion, I believe that uh, America has two things that God gave us. Obviously, God gave the Bible to the whole world. Everybody has it. God gave America something else. It's called the Constitution. And if you take those gray areas, and, or take those things you list and put it in the gray area, and we don't know what the Bible really says or doesn't say, but we have something else, the Constitution, which I don't believe is inspired, mm-hmm. but I don't also believe that there is nothing scripturally prohibited in the Constitution. There is a constitutionally correct answer for all those gray areas. Now, where that is, I don't know, but yeah. there, there is a correct answer for it. And well, a lot of times, I think you mentioned judicial activism here, over here, a lot of these get the wrong answer through judicial activism or just by voting people that do not represent and uphold the Constitution like they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And I I think we all want to say without a doubt that America has been just uniquely blessed by the Lord um, for for his purposes in the last 200 and almost 300 years now. And that's part of, so I want, I want to walk this line between saying as an American, God doesn't need America at all. But God has created America and given it certain blessings. And he's made me and most of us in this room, maybe not all of us, Americans, to have certain stewardships of our democratic process that I think is part of our Christian responsibility to live out those things and praise God for these good documents and let's live out you know our Christian faith in the context of these this culture that we have to the maximum of our ability for for to me it's part of Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling 
Be the be- part of embedded in that is be the best citizen you can be for the glory of God and for the display of the gospel. So yeah, I, I'm, I think you're right on, Ken. Any, anybody else? Pam, come. Back to the gun control issues. I read an article that uh, Ben Carson put out that he just, um, let me just pull it up here. A government finds it much more difficult to dominate people who are armed. And he mentioned that the uh, dictatorial dictators and all, they will go and take your guns first so that you are unarmed. And so that's why I think that there is so much yep. talk about the are, Second yeah. Amendment yeah. Yeah. not mm-hmm. being wiped off. And people are skeptical. Yeah, I understand. I understand that. Yeah. Last question. Anybody? Anybody? Go ahead and give him the microphone, sir. Since you always recommend books, there's a book called The Tragedy of American Compassion. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read it, um, but it, it charts the history of the church getting out of some of the things and the government getting into some of the things and the mm-hmm. poor job the government has done because... You know, a single mom at home with no support structure, uh, which is what the government provides versus what the church used to provide. Yeah. Um, thin book, but yeah. um, good, good what's read. It, what's it called again? The, the tra- Tragedy of American Compassion. Yeah. It might be a good book. Yeah. Tragedy of American Compassion. Got one more comment. Jo- Josh in the back. You got to speak into the microphone, brother. Truman, are you still good? You need a pillow or anything? Or is it, you, good? <laughs> you good? Some popcorn, maybe? Okay, good. Just making sure you're all right. Thank you, Megan. Appreciate it, sweetheart. So, I heard you were speaking, um, like, like basically you said that picked like the good, kind of moral, you know, picture-looking candidate. Um, well, the best, like the best person, that right? Would vote but in the most right. With way. okay, within view of history, you can look at the moral pictures um, painted by the political political parties of like. The Nazi Party concerning Hitler. Yeah, it was a very good picture, but yeah, you look at the pictures of really good leaders throughout history, especially in American history. Ulysses Grant, President Lincoln, um, Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, we're talking about guys who were like at the bottom rung. You know, they weren't. They failed a lot of different things. Yeah. You know, but they became great leaders. Also in England, Winston Churchill wasn't necessarily like the top rung. He was known for being a super drunk. I mean, of course, not let many people. Yeah. want to speak about that openly, but, yeah. you know, but he was a great leader. Yep. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think there needs to be practicality in like, because uh, I just was thinking about this when the gentleman over there was speaking, like, I understand trying to vote for like the right thing, Yeah. but just to really try to find, you got to kind of cut through it and be practical with all this stuff, you know, like, okay, this is what this person looks like in public, but what do they really stand for? When doors are closed, when everything's you know, because yep. that's all that matters. And, or who has them bought with money or who isn't bought with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, that's a good point, John. I'm not saying that you, you know, we know all about it. It, it, it is, it's a, that is a, you're, you're shining the light on how, how um, dependent we are on God's grace. And isn't it a great comfort to know that God can raise up scoundrels and use them wonderfully, right? 
And so when I was talking about top rung, I'm not talking about like upper echelon people in society. I'm just saying if you are in a local election, or you like people running for the senator of Georgia or the governor of Georgia, try and know that person as well as you can via their platform so that you make an informed decision that a person is voting more closely aligned. Try and vote for the person that, is, that seems to have stances and views that align up with Scripture more. That's all that I'm saying. But yeah, praise God that God would use, you know... Uh, people that are uh, all sorts of jacked up for his glorious purposes. And he does that every day and he does it, he does it with us. Well, let me end on this. It's 7.30 and I want to um, get us home and it's a school night. And um, when we don't get our kids to bed at a certain time, it, um, well, the next morning goes poorly. Let me just put it to you that way. Uh, let me read First Timothy chapter 2. We haven't said much about President Obama tonight, but I do want to mention him because I want to pray for him. Um, because I, I think that on many, many, many issues politically, like, for example, I would disagree with President Obama. But I, one prayer I have often for myself is just for my heart to soften towards him and to thank God for him and to speak uh, respectfully and graciously about him in front of my children and publicly. And we're, we're, I mean, always. It's not like I, you know, behind... You know, Jennifer and I close the door at night and, like, and I say what I really... No, I mean, we just speak graciously about the president, right? Because praise God for him. Having said that, I can, you know, be very opposed to many of his policies. And so First Timothy chapter 2. First of all then... Hold on just a second. I said that first phrase out of memory. First of all then... I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, or in our case, presidents, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we want to pray for our local leaders, for our local politicians, state and national politicians. What an incredibly difficult job. You know, I mean, that's just so hard. It's so hard. And, and as, we, as we strike this balance between not being chicken little and not being a teenager eating Cheetos or popcorn, totally unengaged, as we, as we, as we stumble through this middle sort of road here, let's have grace for one another. Let's be informed. Young people, let's vote. 45 and above, let's not be discouraged and let's like march slowly and let's believe and delight in the fact that God who is sovereign, who Isaiah says has declared the end from the beginning, works out his sovereign, exhaustible, fixed will through the means of our prayers that really matter. Put that in your theological pipe and take a few puffs. The future that is already set, God uses our end time prayers to bring about. And so let's, like, let's be biblical Christians, as we, as we pray tonight, um, 
that God would bring about his good and wise purposes. Lord, we are so grateful that you have put us in this time and this place, whether we're Americans or whether we're from some other country and we just happen to live here now. We know that Acts 17 is true for every one of us, that you have made from one man every nation, every person that dwells on the face of the earth, and you have put them in pre-appointed places and times so that they would long for you. You have each of us here in Columbus or Fort Benning or Harris County or Phoenix City for your divine purposes in eternity past. You called us, you adopted us, you set your love on us and you, as David says in Psalm 139, ordained every one of our days before one of them came to be. So we should rejoice that we live now in this time for your purposes. And God, we pray for our country. We pray for President Obama. We thank you for him. We are grateful for a democratic government. We're grateful for uh, this man. We pray that you would uh, protect him. We pray for his family. We pray for his marriage. We pray for his children. We pray for uh, his cabinet and, and the Congress and senators. We pray in particular for areas where we think that President Obama is very wrong politically and theologically. We pray that you might be so kind as to change his mind. We know that you can. Uh, Proverbs 21 says that you direct the king's heart like a water course. You Change it wherever, however you will. Lord, we pray that you might do that in areas like abortion and in President Obama's heart and mind. But short of that, God, nothing is outside of your control. And you use Christians who are salt and light in different cultures and societies to be the means by which you bring about your sovereign will which is already fixed in the heavens. God, woe be to us if we are lazy and indifferent Christians or if we live out our Christianity in a way that belies and betrays your sovereign rule by our worry and anxiety. So God, give us that strange and peculiar balance and make us people that joyfully work out our salvation through, in the context of our citizenship in our culture that are prepared to be persecuted, that are prepared to be hated, and that love you and your truth more than we do the acclaim of men. May we be able to say, along with the apostles in Acts 5, that we cannot disobey God in order to obey men. And I pray that even in this room, you might cause people to be engaged in political uh, uh, vocation. That maybe there's a young man or a young woman in this room who might be called to run for office or be involved in some work-type capacity in political work. God, use them as salt and light in that area. And Lord, we thank you for the sword of our government, the army, and the uh, many people in this church who are connected to our military. We're grateful for them. And Lord, give us wisdom. Make us wise as we walk this very complex and murky aspect of the Christian life out. And we pray that you'd bless our nation, not for our sake, but so that through whatever you have left for America to do, it might be maximized for the glory of your name, for the joy of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, last, next Wednesday night is the last one. It'll be on social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And um, 
And that's going to be a good one. We're going to we're going to we're going to get into that. So see you next Wednesday.